Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. Each episode is a deep conversation with a carefully chosen peer about not just houses, but place. Yeah, of course we talk about houses and retrofits, but we also want to change the industry for the better, forever. Energy poverty, community engagement, industry disruption, societal responsibility, and climate change. It's all here and so much more. Welcome back, everyone. Your host, Shauna, here. I'm still on the road, out of my usual recording environment, so apologies for any background sounds and noises. My guest today is Stephanie Coleman. She's the Marketing and Business Development Manager at Building Knowledge Canada. She's our third guest from building the Building Knowledge team. They've got some serious bench strength, and we're going to have a few more of their team members lined up for future episodes. But Stephanie is the third woman to be elected as president of the Canadian Home Builders Association in its 80-year-old history. And she's also the honored recipient of the Interquality 2019 Lead of the Year Award. She joins me today from Ontario. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, Shauna. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, this is going to be great. We we tend, but well, definitely as when you were in the executive for the at the national level, we always met at these you know, conferences, and then we would be like, ah, let's have a coffee. But then, you know, you were doing all sorts of official businesses, and then I got chinwagging with somebody else, and then we we kind of pass each other a lot. So I'm very excited um, to have a chance to, to do a nice, good interview with you. Absolutely. And we have some nice little places where we, where our paths sort of run in parallel directions, because the first part of your career was in the fashion industry. So was mine. Well, tell me more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love the fashion. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) You tell me about yours and I'll tell you about mine. (laughs) Well, okay. So I will tell you. um, I love talking about the fashion industry because it was a really fun 10-year career, a 10-year stint. Um, I started uh, first with getting my uh, bachelor's degree in human ecology uh, with a major in clothing and textiles, and then proceeded to work uh, with uh, Nygaard, uh, which has been in the news, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I worked <laughs> with them for uh, almost three years and then moved over to work with Ricky's, uh, both in Winnipeg, and I spent seven years uh, at Ricky's, and I was uh, I finished my career there as a buyer uh, for them, and uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun, a tremendous amount of travel, um, but uh, it was it was it was a really enjoyable experience the ten years I was in it. Cool. And I just heard you saying something to our producer, Mike, about working with CBC. Yes, I did. When I was in my, it was the third or fourth year of university, we had a a contest or a competition in one of our classes where we were asked to design 
uh, a wardrobe for the women of a CBC television show. And the, the show is called Hinsing. And oh, my Lord, my, my <laughs> Nana and my aunties all like that was that was Sunday afternoon. Exactly. It was a very popular show. And so it was it was recorded in Winnipeg and which is where I was headquartered. And mm-hmm. so and where I lived. And um, so our whole class designed a wardrobe for the women of Hinsing. And I ended up winning uh, the contest. And so they ended up uh, buying my design and then hiring me to make the garments for the women. And they wore them on a recording of one of their episodes. And they then proceeded to hire me to um, assist further with that by doing um, wardrobing. So helping them select uh, mm-hmm. what they were going to wear for their, their upcoming recordings and stuff. So it was a, it was a short stint because uh, shortly after that, uh, they had said they were going to hire me for another design. Um, but then, unfortunately, the program uh, was folded. So uh, that ended that career. And I then proceeded to uh, <laughs> move on to Nygaard and then Ricky's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. So mm-hmm. a quick quick synopsis of my career in the fashion industry. So mm-hmm. I graduated high school in 1980, um, which was like the peak of the of the uh, the recession here in, in especially here in, in Vancouver, where I'm sitting right now, not mm-hmm. in Halifax, as usual. Um, and uh, well, I put out hundreds of resumes. I got hired and fired from jobs as as the recession took place and then um i you know there was no more jobs to to be had as a junior person starting in a, a, a you know absolute entry level so my mom said you're driving me crazy you need to find something to do why don't you go and, and put up some posters at the and flyers at the local laundromat and some other places saying that you take in like i don't know like alterations and you know hemming and repairs to, to clothing because you know how to do that um so i did and that blossomed into people asking me to make uh, dresses for various things like proms and weddings and um, bar association dinners. And then I started doing some work with some drag queens. And um, then I and, and I did other costuming things with community theater. <laughs> um, and then I did a, my own line of lingerie around the same time as the Christine line came out, which was kind of a weird mm-hmm. coincidence, but, you know, she took off and had a better marketing machine and understood that part of it. I just liked the design and the sewing part. So at that point in my life, I, uh, I kind of uh, moved past the uh, trying to be a line of clothing and just did bespoke stuff, um, tailored, uh, tailored, um, suits for lawyers and specialty garments for drag queens and a lot of wedding gowns and things like that. So well, that is amazing. And I just <laughs> feel so inspired. Uh, I, I did some wedding gowns as well and, and some bridesmaids gowns and things like that too. But your, uh, your experience, uh, sounds like it was so much more, uh, rich and, and fulsome. So that's, that's so exciting. I want to see a portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> it's buried somewhere in my stuff. <laughs> buried deep in the bowels of the basement somewhere. Oh, okay. Well, it exists. So, uh. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> I have my, my mother's daughter. I'm a pack rat. So, um, but yeah, but you know, this whole thing, like I, I moved out of that um, industry. What was one of the things I was 
really wanted to do was to try and find ways to match up my creative desires with practical things. So that's where like, you know, starting out with doing dressmaking and, and, and alterations and stuff, making sure, you know, everybody needs clothing, but certainly the high end bespoke pieces I was making weren't very practical in the real world. Um, so I kind of got a, a little disillusioned with that after a while. And, um, and then my, my career went into doing graphic design work and doing communication stuff. And then I realized that the technical part of, I wanted to know more about the technical part about buildings and buildings and design. And then, you know, the whole practicality of everybody needs a house or a home. Everybody needs shelter in Canada. So that meant that there was a more broad based way that I could apply creative and technical challenges. So that's kind of how I moved into into this industry. You know, that's funny um, that you say that. I think we have more parallels than we have even realized prior to mm-hmm. uh, this conversation. <laughs> um, m- my journey from fashion to construction uh, was s- sort of similar when you talk about disillusionment, uh, where I found that although I loved the industry and it was a tremendous amount of fun, um, it really bothered me that I invested so much of my time and my life into products that people threw away so quickly. And mm-hmm. um, and it seemed like there was a real level of shallowness um, to the industry um, that when I moved into construction, I discovered uh, how incredibly grounded the builders, the renovators, the trades, the the suppliers, like everyone is just so humble and grounded, even though the construction industry is one of the largest economic drivers in Canada. And mm-hmm. so it was a kind of an unintended learning. I, I, it was a surprise. I didn't realize that how humble um, and accepting uh, the industry was. Um, I expected it to be a bit of more of an old boys club and um and I found it to be a little bit different um and and so I felt like uh moving out of fashion um and into construction was in fact the right reason uh, it was the right uh move for me and um and similar to you um you know we're being a renovation contractor for 15 years which I was Mm self-employed um I was able to marry the creative uh design aspects which you know whether it's fashion or whether it's designing for a renovation and product selections those skill sets are the same and then skills exactly and then being a buyer um you know which i was the all the business side of things and knowing the numbers um that was transferable to be self-employed and so what was new for me in transitioning so there was a lot of transferable skills that that um, allowed me to have a foundation uh, to start with, and then I expanded on it by learning about uh, structural, so construction um, mm-hmm. and the building code, as well as all the building science side of things in order to be able to deliver a better product for clients. So taking all the certifications and training on the building science, so the technical side that you speak of. So, so that's neat. We have that uh, that parallel journey as well. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. And, and for me, the real, the real moment where, you know, where I realized that I was working with things that people threw away with and it was, it actually almost caused me a nervous breakdown was I mm-hmm. had, um, 
I spent 18 months in a job where I was the art director for a building products wholesaler. So I was actually designing packaging for materials that were coming from China and um, and other offshore um, manufacturing plants. So, you know, the, here I am in my, you know, riding my bike everywhere with my groceries in my backpack. And I, t- you know, taken most of the turf off in the backyard of the house I was living in and had a vegetable garden. And here I was in my, the thing that allowed me to have that lifestyle producing essentially trash. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was really hard to reconcile those two things. And, yes. uh, and finally I was, I just got out of it because it just about, it just about blew me apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have never looked back since I started at BCIT in the building technology program in 1990, 1989 oh. is when I started. Yeah. It is so important to, uh, to follow our, our values, right? And, uh, so, and, and that has been the journey that I've been on as well. And so that's, that's amazing to hear that. Yeah. And I know that you are certified energy advisor now. I was, I was, yeah. Different. Oh, you were, but I know that yes. you've taken some courses because I know you took them with <laughs> yes that's right I did and actually I have to say I really enjoyed your program I so what I have to do yet is write the exam <laughs> oh, okay great so I'm close great. okay great. cool yeah yeah cool yeah mm-hmm. and uh and so you've been in the industry for several years and then you offer to be or get nominated as president of the National Home Builders Association and you were president for 2019 and 20 mm-hmm. through 20. Mm-hmm. So what was that like and what were your thoughts about being nominated or putting yourself up for that? I don't actually know if what you did there. And oh, well, I guess you were in the executive before that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so here's the thing. Um, uh, Jane Morgan, who's the mm-hmm. second uh, female president for the Canadian Home Builders Association, had uh, I had I'd gotten to know everybody because I sat on the um, the management committee for the Net Zero uh, uh, label development, right? So we had mm-hmm. uh, CHBA had decided to develop the Net Zero label. Uh, we formed a management committee, and I was on that management committee from the very beginning for the first three years. And so I got to know different people in the association through that process. And so Jane Morgan, who was the president of the home builders at the time, had approached me and asked if I would consider being a presidential appointee to sit on the executive. And what that is, is it's a one-year a term you're not elected it's um the president can pick two people uh to sit for this this one year term so i was blown away i'm not going to lie i was just so honored and so humbled and um i, I just couldn't believe it that that uh, they had asked uh if i would consider that and so so i thought about it for about 2.3 seconds and then said yes <laughs> <laughs> wow, when a door of opportunity like that opens up, you must walk through it. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um and so I sat on the executive for that one year and I, I learned just a tremendous amount and um and participated in all the executive meetings and, and the various uh, conferences and that sort of thing. And at the end of that year, uh what shocked me even more um was 
that they asked if I would consider putting my name forward in the election uh, to actually be officially elected onto the executive, which is a five-year stint. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was just, um, it was, it was an amazing experience and, and to be asked, um, because it was incredibly humbling. Um, and so what was interesting was uh, I went through a tremendous amount of um, self-actualization, I guess you could say. I was like, wow, you know, this is a huge association with 9,000 corporate members right across the country. Um, and I'm a small renovation contractor in a small town in southern Ontario. Am I capable? Right. And so it, will I be able to to be the voice for the association and for the industry and, and our members. And so I went through a lot of uh, kind of soul searching just to, to, to see, you know, if this is something that um, I felt that I could do uh, and, and that I could do well. And, um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, I thought, you know, um, I've got people that believe in me and um, this is a fantastic opportunity. So, I need to I need to take it no matter how scary it is. And so Mm -hmm. I put my name forward um, to be nominated. And it was me and one other person um, that was in the election that year. And um, my name was chosen and I was chosen after our speech and the vote was was cast. And um, it like I said, the the one year and and I was very fortunate that um, I was actually on my very last trip when COVID shutdown started happening. So mm-hmm. I was able to get the full year in of travel uh, across the country from New Brunswick to and spend a ton of time in B- British Columbia and the provinces in the middle and um, got to talk with so many of our members and, you know, meet so many people right across the country. And I just thought, you know, it not only was it just a personally enriching experience and I was able to bring my son along with me uh, as well to all the different uh, events in the meetings. And uh, it was a great experience for us, but what it showed me was just how incredible our association is and how incredible our members are and the amazing work that they're doing right across the country. And it also showed, and we're making a difference and that's the reality. Mm -hmm. We've got members that are making a difference right across the country. And it also showed me that in as much as we have differences because of geography or, you know, politics or whatever the case may be, there were a lot of similarities as well. Uh, and so in as much as we're different, we have a lot of commonalities and we can learn from each other and share from each other. And so um, it was just an incredible experience that is um, it, it's it's life changing. And so no matter how scary it is, my point is, if that opportunity uh, comes up for anybody, you know, who's listening or you um Take the opportunity because yeah. it 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 will permanently uh, positively impact your life. Yeah, I've always struggled with so you know imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, they're asking me to do something. How do they know I can do that? It's like, well, you know, that's not how the world goes. People ask mm-hmm. you to do something because they they consider that you could do a good job at something. You know, whether whether it's being um, president of the National Association or on a committee or anything like that, there's obviously people are looking 
around and saying who could be capable of doing this work. And when the ask comes, yes, say yes. Exactly, exactly. And it's normal to, like you called it the imposter syndrome, you know, it's normal to question yourself and your abilities, you know, am I able to, am am I skilled enough, you know, will I represent people well enough, and that's normal, but uh, don't let it hold you back from from walking through the door, because it opens up just, it, it opens up and it teaches you that you're more capable than you've ever dreamt that you were. So it's it it was so worthwhile. Cool. And there's always, you know, challenges are what makes life interesting. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, you know, I I don't mean challenges as insurmountable, you know, obstacles. That's not that's not a good challenge to have all the time. But something that stretches you just slightly outside of your comfort zone, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, as 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 a. being on the, the management committee, you probably had to chair meetings and you run a business, you know, you know how to delegate things, you know how to take charge of things, but doing it at the national level is just, it's the same thing, but it's just a different context. That's so right. Skill sets there, right? So That's it's right. about leaning back on what you know and saying, oh, I could apply that. So once, and I think that's something that's really interesting about going through, like moving from one industry to another, like you and I have done through fashion and mm-hmm. communication for me, and then into the building industry, is that you, there's unless if you work in the same industry your whole life, you don't realize the skill sets that that move with you. Yes. Across things. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I when I talk to women about getting into the industry, it's like you know you have a whole raft of skill sets that you don't even consider to be skill sets that will help you out in making a career choice in, especially as an energy advisor. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. All those yeah. soft, soft skills that, that, um, that come into play and, and management skills in terms of scheduling, uh, orchestrating things, being in other people's houses, you know, like having, you know, really strong social skills so that you can make people, you're, you're, when you're stepping to someone's house, they don't feel uncomfortable about you being there or they feel as, as, as less uncomfortable. No. <laughs> You're you're right. It's you're right. It's it's and I found that, uh, you know, with with running the renovation business for 15 years Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and just being able to relate to people differently, Um, having, you know, women approach the world a little bit differently than men. And and that's okay And that's good. That's what that's what, you know, between the two of us, um, you know, meaning males and females and 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 all the different um, ways in which people relate. um, That's what makes relationships. Relationships so valuable and and makes each person valuable because we each come to the table with different uh, with different skill sets and different abilities and and you're absolutely right like you know I was able to um, oftentimes uh, form a, a great rapport with um, in, in often in the case it was uh, male female uh, married. Uh, couples. Mm -hmm. Um, And so oftentimes I was able to form great uh, relationships with the wives and they felt comfortable uh, coming to me and asking me questions where um, I had heard feedback where other people uh, with their contractors didn't have that same level of comfort to be able to communicate. So, um, so you're right. Women have uh, bring to the table a tremendous, uh, like you said, a host of, of skill sets. Uh, Oftentimes we don't even realize exactly like you said so yeah absolutely I 
And I think one of the biggest things that I should have about 12 honorary degrees in couples counseling. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Actually, it's funny you say that. It doesn't mean mean I'm real good at my own relationships. It means that you can referee Um, other people's arguments. (laughs) That is so funny. You know, now that you say that, that gets me to thinking of uh, where, and and I had had this countless times where um, couples would have, they wanted their idea. The other person wanted their idea. And I would come into the middle, right? And I would say, how about this? third idea which kind of merged the two and it brought them together countless mm-hmm. times that happened uh so yeah. you're you're right <laughs> yeah just being, being the foil for that in terms mm-hmm. of you know and and trying to, I, I just know there's been several times in my career and in, in terms of consulting work with with folks for renovations and, and new construction it's like well I heard you say <laughs> and I heard you say and Uh and I don't think you're that far apart I think you're just talking about things in different language and what about if we did this you know it's just really about about acknowledging people's truths Mm -hmm. you know and their their perceptions of how things could or should play out and then finding a pathway through them my the the term I always use when I was talking to people is like I'm just the midwife for your ideas (laughs) that's a great that's a great term Uh Because they're like, well, you tell me what to do. I'm like, no, I can tell you the technical reasons why you should or shouldn't do some things. Mm-hmm. And I can do the, you know, code compliant stuff and I can make sure that the, you know, your floor plan is barrier free and user friendly and all of those things. But I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I mm-hmm. will question things. Like if you say, oh, we want a mudroom where, you know, we have all of this lovely, um, uh, exposed shelving and things are going to be beautiful, like an IKEA, you know, um, display photo. But I'm in your house and I see that you have shoes all over the place and you <laughs> hang things on the backs of chairs and your closet's full of, you know, seasonal stuff that you may or may not wear anymore. But you're asking for something that is not going to suit your lifestyle and how you actually use a space. Now, you can change how you use a space by changing the space. But guarantee if you dump your shoes in the middle of the floor now, you're going to do that later (laughs) when it's different, right? It's just not going to change because you're creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. So acknowledge your habits, be okay with them, or, you know, work on your own time to change them. But design work is not going to make your life different. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what, you know, what I would run into as well, where um, sometimes people would come in and say, okay, I want XYZ. And so they would tell me specifically what they want um, in a kitchen, like kind of coming to me with a design. And um, but I had also discovered that oftentimes um, what people want and what they say they want aren't necessarily always the same. And so (laughs) what I would do is I would absolutely, you know, take what what their vision was. uh, But I would also ask them what are you trying to achieve in this space in this right. space in order to try to get to the root of what it is they really want is it that they want more family time together um and so therefore you know opening up this wall 
allows them to all be in the same space instead of being isolated or, you know, that sort of thing to really dig to the, to the depth of what it is at their core that they really want. I, I think, what is it that you keep asking why enough times you eventually mm-hmm. get to the root of it? You know, that, yeah. that sort of approach. Um, because Which is then, great counseling. It's great counseling, it, right? It, it is. And it's all for the renovation purposes. Um, but it, it helps to get to the root of what it is that they're actually looking for so that you could, um, provide guidance uh, that mm-hmm. may be the same or even slightly different, something that they hadn't thought of. And so that at the end of the day, they end up with a, they end up with a, uh, uh, a, a much happier outcome uh, because mm-hmm. their actual uh, desires have been achieved with, with the project. So, yeah, so it sounds like uh, you've had similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a, an interesting journey mm-hmm. to say the least, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's been, it's been great. I would certainly never, you know, I don't have any regrets about, about how my crazy life path has, has happened. <laughs> Because it puts me in contact with interesting people and cool mm-hmm. stuff like like what you're you're involved with, and uh, what we're all involved with. And I was going to ask you some questions about things like you know the volatility of material costs and the shortage of trades, but mm-hmm. what I really want to talk to you about is more things like you know like home ownership as a social mm-hmm. issue because I know that you've been diving into that and then I also want to ask you about your master's degree oh yes <laughs> and you can, I would ask, you can to talk about that <laughs> and you can dive into whichever one of those topics you like the best oh and and I'm living in a net zero already home and I just had solar panels installed so <laughs> I got Jeez. lots of exciting things yes um absolutely yeah so um Home ownership. So this happens to be uh, something that I've started to study uh, in my master's degree. So oh, actually, maybe I should start with the master's degrees because this is what kind of prompted yeah. this. Um, even before that, when I was uh, in my presidency with the Canadian Home Builders Association, one of the main focuses that I had as a speaking point had to do with housing affordability. Not necessarily affordable housing, which would be like subsidized housing or housing for mm-hmm. rent that's owned by, you know, uh, for, for low income uh, individuals, but the ability for middle class Canadians to be able to afford to buy a home. So housing affordability. So uh, then fast forward to I started last year, uh, September of 2020, uh, a master's degree in sustainability at the University of Waterloo. And so I started learning about sustainability, which was really, I mean, of course, we've all heard the term, but I really didn't know uh, what it was. And so I learned that it was these three pillars, essentially. There Mm -hmm. is the um, social or people, um, anything relating to people and social issues. Um, There is the environment or the planet. And then there is business, the economy, or profit. So there's these three pillars. And each one of these pillars are of equal importance because if you only focus on any one of them, uh, that's right, at the absence of paying attention to the others, the other two fail. And so really we need to pay attention to all three and all three have equal importance. So as I've started going through and studying um, sustainability and uh, uh, 
you know, and, and the 17 sustainable development goals and how, you know, the, the importance of being able to bring people out of poverty, create um, a, a more um, balanced life for people so that people have an opportunity uh, in life, uh, whether it be in our own country uh, or continent or, of course, globally. And so, so when I started to to look at all of that, and then when I started to see um, the escalation of house prices, and you know, sort of compounded with uh, mortgage rule changes and things like that, because um, there was concern, uh, I think, at CMHC at the time that uh, of the debt to income ratio, which is, of course, still mm-hmm. a concern right. even today um, and, a, and a, a fair and reasonable concern. Um, but, you know, when I started to see and then I started I started to see house prices just skyrocketing. Um, and then I started to hear about uh, this millennials uh, generation, particularly uh, who haven't gotten into the housing market and have been struggling to get into the housing market, who have I've even heard of stories um, recently where people are delaying having families because they're still living in their parents' basement and they don't want to start a family mm-hmm. at that, you know, when, when that's their current living situation, people having to move into rental uh, facilities because they can't qualify for a mortgage where the rent is the same as what a mortgage rate what a mortgage, mortgage would have yeah. been. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. And so I was just thinking to myself, I'm a lucky one because, you know, I had gotten into home ownership many years ago. Um, and so I'm a lucky one, but, you know, and I know that, um, people, the, the, the asset and, and the, um, the value that is generated from home ownership um, is this very significant part of people's portfolio, their financial portfolio mm-hmm. as they move to retirement. And in fact, I looked at some stats recently. I think it was 2020 stats where it was showing in between 40 to 50 some percent for middle and lower in class uh, income class uh, Canadians. Um, it, it represents about 40 to 50 percent of their net worth um, as they get right. into so- the older. So if they're forced out of homeownership, which is a forced savings account, and they're forced to pay their money to investors, which I'm not opposed to investors owning rentals. I have no problem with that. But if somebody should qualify or historically could have qualified and wanted to buy a home, then they should be able to. And so what's happening is you've got this whole group of people, and divorcees are another group, um, where mm-hmm. they to jointly together were able to own a home with somebody, but now divorced uh, can't necessarily get into homeownership again, um, regardless of age. But so, so I started to hear these stories over and over and over, and then I thought, wow, so there's this whole generation and these whole groups of people that are having to take their wealth that they could have self-invested, you know, in their own home, and are now having to give it to investors. So mm-hmm. to me, it seems like, and so I'm just early on in, in researching this, but just kind of using um, common sense, I suppose, in my own personal experience, knowing the impact that homeownership has had on my own net worth, you know, I have to wonder what the long-term implications are for these individuals who don't get to to get into homeownership, especially when we already know that there's a problem with debt-to-income ratio, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it it, and and we know that the rent is no different than what a mortgage payment would be. So it's not like 
there's money that's being invested instead of in a home ownership, right? Yeah. So, so this is something that I'm I'm deeply concerned about. Um, I'm not only just you know for for millennials and divorcees, but also I think about my own child, you know, yeah. who's uh, uh, you know will be a, an adult next year, and and other children like him. Um, yeah, my daughter is uh, she's starting law school this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with, with COVID, she, she graduated from her bachelor's degree, um, with no fanfare because COVID hit. And, uh, so that was 2020. So she's been living with us, um, in the family home for the last year and a bit or two years almost. And, um, so she was looking at an apartment in Halifax. So she didn't have to do the commute because we're just, we're, we're about 40 minutes outside of the city and, you know, she mm-hmm. saying, well, if I didn't have to commute, then I wouldn't have to pay for parking and that would be much easier. Maybe I can get a you know part-time job, all, all this stuff. And she couldn't find a one bedroom apartment for under the cost of my mortgage payment on a yeah. four bedroom house. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. And, uh, and yeah. so she's found, she's found a place with a roommate, two bedroom with a roommate, but it's still, it's really crazy expensive still. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, so I look at, you know, she's 23. She's not, will she own a house? Even if she, you know, moves through law school and, and is in a upper echelon in terms of income, I don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. And it is very concerning. Now, of course, we know that, that, one of the drivers for the increase in the house has, uh, in, in house prices has been a shortage of housing. And so some of the readings that I was doing in my studies, um, had pointed to, uh, a very long, almost a 10 year hiatus of, uh, building these entry price point homes. And another interesting thing was, um, I, I looked at the average size of homes and in mm-hmm. the 70s, um, the average size of a home was around 1,600 square feet, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we're like 23. It's, I've seen as high as 26, 2,700 square feet right. for an average yeah. size home. And so, you know, you figure we're building the homes significantly larger, um, yet our family sizes are smaller. So Great we down. went, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we went yeah. from an average of about 550 square feet per person of living space in a home to now about a thousand square feet or, or more uh, per person in a home. And so um, that comes with a price tag. And so now yeah. what we're seeing, and, and I'm sure everybody's seeing a lot of uh, MERBs, like multi-unit residential buildings, um, condos, apartment type block buildings, uh, townhomes, stacked townhomes, and, and multi-unit uh, product that uh, can be done at a, a bit um, more affordable price point. Uh, and smaller, oftentimes smaller as well in square footage. So, so that's right. why we're seeing, at least here in Ontario, where I am, a huge shift towards um, that type of product uh, in the market. And and but then you have places like here in Vancouver, places, you know, looking at um, a place here for Michelle would be, you know, there's no way that she could afford yeah. mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a crazy thing. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that ties into this that I'm I'm super interested in is the actual tenureship of a uh, tenure in terms of ownership. Mm-hmm. So we ca- we often talk about the you know well 
people move every five years. Mm-hmm. That's actually not the truth. Mm. That's that's a the the in real estate. It, those are those are stats from the real estate industry, and that's how often houses sell. Mm. So it's skewed to people who are coming into entry market uh, units that are moving out of them fairly quickly. Oh, I see. Know, within okay. a year mm-hmm. or two, mm-hmm. um, and and so it looks like there's a lot more turnover in houses. In actual fact, the average Canadian tenure in a house that they own is 13 years. Mm. So we need to shift how we think about those things because that means if you're if you're not looking at a five year payback, which is the fallout from this five year turnover that everybody seems to have glommed onto mm-hmm. um, for all, for all sorts of reasons, mainly because it's the easiest one to actually parse out, right? It's the mm-hmm. easiest metric to parse out. Mm-hmm. But that in itself means that you don't have to think about it in terms of if what you know, do we have a five year payback on these these um, energy efficiency exactly measures now we can look at it's 10 years or maybe it's 15 mm-hmm. yeah exactly likely like i like you know i in my neighborhood most of my neighbors have been there for longer than i've been there and that's i'm working on 20 years this year mm-hmm. in one house mm-hmm. and granted it's in nova scotia and granted it's in a small market but I've been looking at some very interesting stats about housing in general. So we have about 50% of the population lives in a large suburban or urban, sorry, not suburban area, urban mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. But that only encompasses nine municipal units. We have over 5,000 municipal units in Canada. Hmm. So they're very, and they're small. There's ones that are under 10,000 and ones that are uh, under 25,000. And then the big municipal units, like the amalgamated HRM, Halifax Regional Municipality, for example, or Vancouver or Toronto, those are above 100,000. And there's only nine of them. Hmm. Hmm. So, so there's a huge skewing of the, of, of market stats to that half. Of the uh, of the population and that half of the housing for that population. So I would really like to see where we pull out those big urban centers and look at what the other half of the country does, because then there's because there's a lot of a lot of stats and a lot of market driven stuff is based on those large markets. You well, know, and we see that, reasons. right, we right. To look out and say what what is happening for the rest of the country that these things don't apply to. Yeah, that's a like really walk- good perspective. Yeah, walkab- walkability doesn't actually apply to a suburban based municipality. Hmm. Yeah, so we'll need to research that and 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 look at that. I know during my presidency, uh, you know, traveling across the country, I would hear that the, the smaller communities, the smaller municipalities, had different challenges than the larger ones did. And yeah, so being able to separate that, is, you know, could tell a different story, or you tailor the story, uh, you know, accordingly to, to make it work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest differences is that smaller municipalities don't have the deep pockets that the big ones do. So chasing after a net zero target is an impossibility if you don't have the bandwidth with your 
existing resources, right? Whether it's your building inspectors or whether it's your planning department or, or, or it just doesn't exist. Because yeah, it, yeah. And it, it's interesting. I, I don't um, have information on that at the moment, but, but I have been uh, looking into that and to see, okay, what can, you know, be done? How can we move the, 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 um, how can we ref- assist the builders uh, in successfully moving toward where the building code is going ultimately, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, in, in the next nine or so years, right? Yeah. So I have some mm-hmm. interesting stuff that I'll, I'll share with you offline. Sure. Um, uh, that's uh, reports that I've done for some of the projects that I've been working on in, for, for small, smaller rural municipalities in Nova Scotia mm-hmm. in terms of how do we move to deep energy retrofits, because that's the other yes. piece, right? We have yes. so many existing buildings, and in Nova Scotia, we have this perfect storm of really old housing stock, high median income taxes, low median incomes, growing fixed income population, and a reasonably mild climate, but a, you know, but still a hefty Canadian winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do we relate to that when 70% of our housing stock was built before 1950? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, of the 14 million homes we have, I think it was uh, 90 some percent are considered, quote unquote, old. Right. So yeah. um, you're absolutely right. And and the existing housing stock, and I've said this for years, um, and it's good to see the Greener Homes program uh, has rolled out. I guess we'll see how it actually plays out. But um, at least it's, it's geared toward the existing housing stock. Um, but, you know, I've said for years that if we want to move the needle on climate change and on uh, at least operational emission uh, carbon emissions we need mm-hmm. we need we must address the the existing housing stock because right yeah, now absolutely. you know new homes are built very efficiently and will continue to be built increasingly more efficient as the code uh, evolves um, to net zero ready over the next nine or so years. Um, but the existing housing has been grandfathered. And then when you layer on top of that, and, and I have lived with this for 15 years as a renovation contractor, you layer on top of that the wild west of renovation, mm-hmm. uh, the renovation industry where anybody can become a renovator, whether they know what they're doing yep. or not. Um, and people just... Uh, homeowners just don't always realize that and um and they're they're in a vulnerable situation so uh, it is a major concern that that i have for sure uh because there's a ton of unintended consequences that can occur when we start making homes more quote-unquote energy efficient um without factoring in the whole house as a system and making sure that we're doing this safely so that there's no issues with indoor air quality and mold or uh, backdrafting mm-hmm. of mechanical equipment, you know, to create carbon monoxide. Like there's just all of these water damage and moisture damage, you know, all of the, in all of the above. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big, <laughs> it's a, a big challenge, but one that we need to tackle. Yeah. And that's been my, my, Bailiwick for the last 20 years is just mm-hmm. because that's what I mean we tipped from new construction being our, our main driver in the industry to renovation several years ago mm-hmm. um, for Nova Scotia and uh, and that's really where I've been been focused over the last several years so we need to talk more 
Absolutely. Game plan. Yeah. Game plan. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and it the reality is, and I've run in, I've run up against this uh, over and over uh, over the years. Um, it's difficult, <laughs> and it is difficult mm-hmm. because the market is so fractured. Um, uh, the renovation contractor industry tends to be a lot of small, small business. So does home builders. I mean, the whole, you know, like I think it's over 70% of the industry in Canada has, it reports less than five staff people mm-hmm. and 45-ish percent of that report no staff. Right. So, so it's we just have, the one we or have two these people. micro businesses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, so the, it's so fractured. And so it's hard. To, it, it is challenging. And then and then you've got um, people willing to do jobs for, quote unquote, cash. Right. So mm-hmm. under the table, no permits. Homeowners thinking they're getting a good deal because all renovation contractors are the same, uh, which they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but they don't know that until it's too late. And so yeah. it is a it, it is a, a major challenge and it is difficult. Uh, it's not insurmountable. Um, it's just a matter of coming up with really solid plans and yeah. uh, execute on those plans. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've come across is that, um, and, and come to the conclusion of is that there's a lot of variation in Canadian house types. Yes. But we can create a series of packages for those house types that work mm-hmm. across different climates with, you know, some tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. But this idea that everything has to be a bespoke or a one-off um, deep energy retrofit or retrofit at all <laughs> or that you pick and choose a couple of little cherry picked easy um not expensive or convenient uh measures and you know those things short circuit things that you can do in the long term for example well, my, yeah. my 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 least favorite one is when someone puts in you know i had this with a a client last year uh in 2018 they put new windows in the building but the building needed siding new siding on it so now we're in the position where we have these mm, okay double pane windows in this building, but now we have to reside it and we're going to put insulation over the top of the you know the existing sheathing and now we have a complication in terms of right. the detail around the window. That's right. But if yeah. there had been some uh, a, a better thought process would have been mm-hmm. to hold off for the year mm-hmm. or two years or you know or or budget for this package and it will be less expensive because you know the premium to put insulation underneath new cladding if you're doing everything all at once is like is between four and ten percent you know it's it's, not a lot of money it's just forethought and planning and that's that's right that's what I want to drive at for my yes you know and that's actually something that I that I did as a as a, a contractor is um so I, I did something that that not a lot of contractors were doing at the time. I don't know if they do it, it um, now. I haven't uh, checked recently, but I was charging for um, design, uh, and that came with an estimate. So if mm-hmm. um, and so I didn't do free estimates at all. Um, I charged for design, and then that comes with an estimate because in order for me to give an accurate estimate. I need to know what I'm I'm uh, I'm estimating. So that's why I go mm-hmm, through the entire very detailed design, 3D CADs, you know, all the all that kind of stuff. And so 
what I found was um, going through that process, I would talk with the homeowners about tell me what are you how long do you plan to live in this house? And these are a series of questions. And so I spent a lot of time with several hours with them just going through understanding, you know, um, how long do you plan on living in this house? Uh, what are your goals? What types of renovations do you foresee doing over the course of the time you plan to live here? So that they, so that we could talk through, does it make sense to do something now so that you don't have to undo that very mm-hmm. same thing, you know, kind of later on down the road to do this future renovation? And so, so it, it planning what you just said is critical. And that's what I love about, um, with the with the net zero uh the chp net zero program um one thing that was missing for me because here i was you know i I had gone through the certified energy advisor process in order to um, learn more about the building science and to be a better renovator that's why i did it and um and so one of my challenges was i didn't feel like i had kind of a label like energy star for new homes for example Mm -hmm. i didn't have any sort of label and so people would say ah you know, I really don't want to do anything with the energy side of things. I just want my new kitchen with my new floor with my quartz countertops or my granite countertops. Mm -hmm. And I had that conversation over and over and over and over. And I kept running into a dead end on the energy side of things. And so one of the challenges I found was, you know, if I had, instead of it's me just trying to, you know, give them random recommendations, if I had a label uh, to work with, then at least I'm selling a product, right, with some targets Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And so that's what I really like about what CHBA is doing uh, for the the net zero renovations is um, you can you can provide for the client a strategy for renovating their home to net zero or net zero ready, or it's entirely possible to that it's not possible depending on orientation, roof size, tree cover, uh, you know, a, a million different reasons why maybe it's not possible, but at least you could set out this pathway and to show them where they can get to, you know, on mm-hmm. that pathway and they can, um, then take steps and maybe it will be, they will be more inspired to take those, uh, energy upgrade, um, steps that I personally have, uh, struggled, uh, with, uh, with uh people wanting to wanting that right so it's just one thing that that i had run into barriers and roadblocks for people wanting it because they wanted to invest in the pretty finishes um Mm -hmm. versus the stuff that they don't see necessarily and so i think that is one of the biggest um obstacles in the existing housing is encouraging people to make these energy upgrades but so that's where a program like the eco energy program from, you know, 2010. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and now the greener homes uh, can be an advantageous uh, to, uh, because a million homes were labeled and, and had gone through that program uh, back in 2010. Right. So yeah. obviously it, people responded to it. So I anticipate the same thing would happen uh, with this program. And yeah, as, I think the, the biggest thing we need to make sure of is that we don't fall down that the down at just a few measures. Right? Yes, that's right. And, 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 and practical measures. measures. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like if you get a $40,000 grant, uh, should it all go to a groovy geothermal system or should it go to really boring things like insulation? 
Well, that's right. And, sure. and what that's right. And and so that's where the beauty of of having, you know, the uh, an energy advisor come in and speak mm-hmm. to you um, to give you informed information on that. And and kind of to circle around to uh, the start of this whole conversation um, as it relates to, you know, carbon emissions and, and energy and, and look at what is the impact uh, from a, a operational emission side, from an embodied emission side, you know, as we talk about renovations and new products mm-hmm. that we're bringing into the home, uh, just to make sure that the Intended consequences are are uh, the outcome essentially yeah. uh, versus unintended ones. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I just thought we could talk forever. I know we've got another episode <laughs> in us, at least one episode, Steph. So thanks so much for your time today, and uh, that's it for episode for now. We'll talk to Steph again soon. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Blue House Energy, Podcast Atlantic, and Tanya Media. Subscribe and don't miss an episode. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.